Welcome to IDD Get to Know Me, a mental health podcast where nothing is off the table. Wait, what does IDD mean? IDD stands for Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. You will hear from us, people with IDD, and experts on topics that are important to us and our mental health. I'm your host, Victor. And I'm Daniel. On this week's episode, we're going to get to know Dr. Megan Lowry from Ontario Tech University and the work that she's done. So, Megan, first of all, let's start with an icebreaker. What do you like to do when you are relaxed? First of all, thanks for having me. Um, What I like to do when I'm relaxing is I really like to take my dog for big long walks and hikes in the local conservation areas near where I live. Um, Walking my dog just gives me a chance to relax, to to get some fresh air and to to be out in nature. And um, that's one of my favorite things to do when I have a chance to relax. Oh, I love doing, I love uh, spending time with the animals as well, although I'm more of an indoor person myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, nice to, nice to have you uh, here with us, Megan. Uh, great to have you for this episode. So just to begin with, um, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. I am an associate professor at Ontario Tech University in the Faculty of Health Sciences. My area is actually um, kinesiology. So kinesiology is the study of human movement. And within kinesiology, I study what's called adapted physical activity. So all my research and my education has been around um, physical activity, motor development, um, health promotion for people with disabilities, both children, youth, adults. Um, I'm really interested in the things that we can do to promote being physically active for people with disabilities, in particular, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. They just, um, they fascinate me and there are so many cool things to be learned. And um, I live in Oshawa, which is where Ontario Tech is. And I'm really excited to be here today to talk to you guys about my work. That was just amazing, Megan. One more thing I have to ask you, how did you get involved in Special Olympics? What was that little switch you had in your head that says, I'm going to be passionate about people with Special Olympics? How did you first get involved in that? That's a really great question. So if we go back to the very, very beginning, when I was in high school, there was a man who lived in our neighborhood. His name was George, and he worked at our local um, hockey arena where I was a volunteer hockey coach. He also worked as a paid umpire for the local girls softball league, and I was also an umpire for the local girls softball league. And so between these two venues, George and I became friends, and we got along really well. So. 
we got partnered up a lot. He was my first base umpire and I was the home base umpire when I was um, umpiring the girls softball games. And I would see him on the weekends in the winter, he would open up the lock, um, the, the equipment room and all the change rooms for the teams early in the morning when we had our uh, games on Sunday mornings. And George and I just became buddies, we were friends and um, we worked together for years. And then when I went to Acadia University for my undergraduate degree, they had a program called SMILE. And this is where people who were students at the university were paired up with um, people from the greater community who had disabilities and we would work on goals in the gymnasium and also in the pool on Saturday mornings. And to me, this was like the best of all worlds because I got to have fun. I got to meet new people. I got to play in the gym in the mornings and we go for swims and and it it seemed to line up well with my kinesiology degree. And it was around my third year when I realized, I don't even know why it took me so long to realize, but I didn't know that this was an actual academic area of study. Like I could have a career where I study physical activity for people with disabilities. And, and that was like a light bulb went off. And then I decided to, to study it more during my master's and then some more during my PhD. And when I finished my PhD, I moved to Ottawa where I thought to myself, I'd really like to give back to my community. I have all this knowledge. Um, I, I think it would be really great. So I looked up opportunities in Ottawa to coach Special Olympics. I thought to myself, this would be the perfect thing for me to do because I, I, I thought I knew what I was doing. Um, so anyways, I ended up volunteering as a soccer coach for a team in Ottawa who um, was looking for Special Olympics coaches. And it was honestly, it was so much fun. And we would travel to uh, tournaments and we would practice every week. And um, it was the highlight of me finished my school, but starting my career and trying to apply some of my knowledge in real life. And my real life was Special Olympics. And um, so that's where it, it, it sort of started in, that's the short version of how I started working with Special Olympics. But um, it was one of my most favorite things that I have done um, so far in my life and in my career. Did you face discrimination while you were teaching people with special needs? Did any discrimination happen while you were teaching Special Olympics? That's a really good question. I personally don't feel like I faced any discrimination, but I did witness um, some discrimination of some of my players. And what I what I think of it, when I think back on it, I, I think of it more as an underestimation where where people made assumptions that weren't necessarily true. 
um, without getting to know my players. And so um, I, I think that's a form of discrimination, but I also think my players were really resilient and they, they were able to demonstrate with their skills and their abilities that these assumptions were not true. Um, and I think that Special Olympics was a really nice um, platform or venue to, to, to dispel those misunderstandings. So let me just follow up on, on that real quick. Um, so first of all, that's a, it's a really nice story with you and George and it's, it's, uh, and I'm sorry about, you know, that discrimination that some of your players faced. Um, but on that note, why is it important that people get involved with communities like, uh, like Special Olympics and things? It's important because um, not everyone has the same opportunities for friends, for supportive um, community members, such as coaches or um, teammates and even other other family members and support players on a team. Um, I think that Special Olympics provides unique opportunities to participate in a group activity that is still supported but also allows for choice and autonomy and competition and skill building and fitness, but also opportunities to travel, um, go to tournaments, go to games. Um, I, I think that some of the um, opportunities are underestimated, if that makes sense. I think that there are more benefits to being part of the Special Olympics than um, people originally think. Um, we just did some research that found that people who have intellectual and developmental disabilities who participate in Special Olympics are less likely to develop clinical depression. And that was a very important finding because it's one of the first studies uh, that researchers have done that used really good methods and and found a very positive health promoting effect of Special Olympics. So yes, there's the social piece and yes, there's this, you know, the physical piece, you get stronger, you get more fit, you're more, um, you're more skilled. But we have research now that shows that it also improves mental health and nobody had ever um found that before and so it could be a reason for people to to join or special or sign up for or or volunteer with special olympics and and on, on that note how do we um how do we promote uh, the choice of people signing up as adults how, how can we motivate people to to join up with special olympics I think that's a really great question. I think uh, there's a few different ways we could tackle that that challenge. Um, first of all, we need to have programs available for people to participate in. And so in in big urban centers or big cities, there there tends to be more programs. Um, and what we need to do is make sure that there are the right programs for the right populations um, that are accessible to people who would like to be part of Special Olympics. So if you live in a rural area 
or um, maybe a suburb, it, it might not be as close to where you live. Um, so that's one thing we need to do to promote participation is make sure we have accessible programs. Another piece that I think is really interesting is that um, the professionals that work with people who might participate in Special Olympics could promote it. So for example, teachers or um, clinicians, such as maybe you see a physiotherapist, maybe your physiotherapist says, hey, have you ever thought of um, participating in Special Olympics? You might find it to be a really great opportunity. And then you might go and, and investigate it and decide that you, you would like to try it. Um, even, even medical doctors could suggest um, that people participate in Special Olympics or another program that would promote physical activity. But we know Special Olympics is the, the most pervasive or the, the biggest program or opportunity to participate in Special Olympics for this population. Um, and I also think we need to promote it to the people who would like to participate in Special Olympics. Some people just don't know that it's an option. Um, and if you don't even know, then you're less likely to, to join. So we need to increase awareness to as many people as possible. And that would be where I would start. I don't know if you have another idea of how to promote it, but that's where I would start. Some people say that Special Olympics is not accessible to most people with special needs it's like a like people with special needs like say it's too competitive or it's like not inclusive for me or it doesn't fit my schedule what do you think about that what are your thoughts about that i think that people's lived experiences are are valid and that it is very um, true and very possible that people have had mixed experiences with Special Olympics. Um, I don't doubt people who say that. Um, I think that it goes to the diversity of programming um, that potentially we need more options for less competitive options and maybe some middle of the road competitive options as well as the sort of i want to go to the national games or the world games kind of options um i know that in special olympics they do offer many community-based programming that is not designed to be overly competitive now sometimes people who join these programs are a little bit more competitive than their teammates and so maybe there there could be some education around being a welcoming um inclusive team and and what does that mean and making sure everybody has the same values and and objectives um it's also possible that special olympics doesn't meet somebody's needs for example if you had some mobility challenges. Maybe you use a mobility aid such as um, either a crutch or you use a wheelchair or those kinds of um, mobility 
challenges may limit some of the chances to participate in local community programming that Special Olympics offers. But I think it goes to the importance of offering a whole variety of options that maybe don't need that high level of mobility, but you can still be part of the team. And so um, I think organizations like Special Olympics are trying as hard as they can to best serve everybody that they that they can, but they don't always um, get it right in every community. And so um, there is still work to be done, but we encourage everybody to get involved and to help inform how Special Olympics can can make things a little bit more accessible um, to an even bigger and broader um, group of people. Does that answer your question, Vic? Yes, it does. Uh, let me just jump in here. So just asking about the Special Olympics, um, what is it about Special Olympics that you think is is most important for people's mental health? So the research that we just did showed this uh, risk reduction for depression. And so when we had to start thinking about why would Special Olympics reduce the risk of being diagnosed with depression, we we don't know for sure. We need to do some more research, but we think it has to do with the social connectedness. We, we think it has to do with making friends, um, having teammates, having coaches in your life, having um, the people who support the team all engaging together. You know, usually you practice once, maybe twice a week, and then sometimes you have competitions and you have contact with all those people. Um, we also think that the physical activity environment is important. So in other words, you could have friends in another context you could have supportive people in another context but we think it's the combination of that social connectedness in a physical activity sport environment that makes special olympics unique in terms of mental health um we also think that when you practice and participate in, and compete in special olympics there are many different skills and and um, you learn new skills, you get better at skills when you practice, you, you develop a sense of mastery, you also get stronger and fitter and then that translates into um, daily life as well. So I think Special Olympics is good for people from multiple angles. Um, but it's, I think, this combination of social connectedness and physical activity. Do you find that people's mental health are improving because of Special Olympics? What are your findings about that? You know, that's a really good question because we, we didn't actually study people who already had depression. So we know that there are people with an intellectual and developmental disability who do experience depression. Um, and it's possible that participating in Special Olympics may help with that, but that's not what we studied. Somebody would need to, to look at that. And um, 
I think that would be a really good research question to do next. Um, we looked at people who didn't have depression and then followed them for up to 20 years. And we, we, we tried to see who got diagnosed more and we found that it was the people who didn't participate in Special Olympics. Now, more to your question, my opinion is that um, I think Special Olympics would be good for people and we know that physical activity and exercise is good for mental health in the general population. And so um, I do think it would be good for somebody who is experiencing depression, but I would need to study it to, to say more about that. I hope that is a good enough answer for you. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm a social worker myself, so like all this mental health stuff that you're talking about is very near and dear to me, especially I, I also work with the neurodivergent population, uh, particularly. So I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, and uh, just the last question here. Um, how can Special Olympics and other organizations improve and continue to promote better outcomes for people? That's a really, really tough question. Um, I think we've already discussed a little bit about making sure that programming is accessible in a variety of um, geographic locations. So including like the far north, um, including some very dense urban settings, making sure that even though you live in the city doesn't mean that there's a special Olympics program running for you in your neighborhood. Um, I think we should be also looking at the intersection of race and disability and making sure that there are culturally safe opportunities to participate in Special Olympics. Imagine if you were a new immigrant to Canada. Um, it doesn't even really matter where in the world your family came from, but that you're um, a new immigrant and you would like to participate in Special Olympics and, and how do we create a welcoming and safe environment um, in that kind of context. I'm sure there's programs out there, but these are things that I'm just brainstorming that we could do. Um, I, I think that making sure we have programs for little, little kids. Um, some of my other research shows that if if we teach kids with disabilities their motor skills like running, throwing, hopping, kicking, catching, all those skills, they're more likely to participate and be in special um, to to be active and to get the health benefits of being physically active. So I think we could do even more programming for little kids. To, to make sure that maybe they have lifelong participation in Special Olympics. I think we should also talk to people with disabilities to find out what they want. What kind of programs do they want in their community? And then work towards trying to, um, to fulfill those needs. Um, I, I think it's a, a really important programmatic but also inclusive perspective that you can that all community programs consult with the community that they're trying to serve 
And, um, and so I think it's important for the athlete voice to also be heard in what they would like to see improved upon and also what they would like to see in the future. Um, and I, and I do believe Special Olympics is, is very much working on some of these things. It's just, these are my thoughts today. One more question before we wrap up. If you had to change one thing about the Special Olympics organization, good or bad, if you had to change at least one thing, what would you change and why? Whoa. I have to think about that for a second. I think, to be honest with you, it would be just to do to do more and and to to promote that it's not just a sport organization that there are also health uh benefits of being part of special olympics and i know they're working on that um but i think that uh i i don't work for special olympics so i i can't i can't dictate what they should or should not do um but i think you know, understanding how we can partner with scientists and researchers like myself to to demonstrate the the health impact of being part of Special Olympics would be really powerful if they could, you know, invest in in the evidence to support their program. It would go a long way to getting more money and opportunities for the athletes. One more thing before we go, we have a little thing called Plug Talk. It's plugging your social medias so people can find out what you do and how to get in touch with you. So this is your chance to plug yourself and all your social media. Thank you for that. My Twitter handle, which is for my professional work, is at Dr. Megan Lloyd, and it's M-E-G-H-A-N-N-L-L-O-Y-D. Um, and I use my Twitter to try and promote health and research and opportunities for um, people with disabilities, but also um, health-related content and disability issues. So. If anyone is interested in following me, that would be wonderful. And I appreciate the opportunity to share that. Thank you, Megan, for letting us get to know you. Um, guys, see you next time on IDD Get to Know Me. We're over and we're out. Later. Thanks, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by the Azrieli Adult Neurodevelopmental Center at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto, Canada. We would like to thank our producers, Afriz Gadimi and Avery Schwab, for helping to keep us organized and all of the behind-the-scenes work.